Welcome back to Redefine You, a conversation for well-being, where we have open and honest conversations with friends of mine in the industry to explore their ownership to self and mental well-being journey. As when one shares their vulnerability in such a way, we're encouraged to look within. I'm your host, Haley Hasselhoff. I'm an actor, model, fashion and well-being editor, but most importantly, a body positive and mental health advocate. Redefine You is meant to inspire you to look within and guide you to lead a life being grounded in you. I am so excited to bring on our guest today. She is a co-host of the Emmy award-winning show, The View, and host of heart racing quiz show, The Chase. She also hosts an IGTV series called Straight Up With Sarah. She is a mama, a sister, a wife, and a friend, but most importantly, one of the warmest and most honest people I know. She has been a supporter and advocate for women and their mental and physical health, and I just cannot wait to have this conversation with her today. Welcome to the podcast, the amazing Sarah Haynes. Sarah. Thank you so much, Haley. I'm always so touched when you reach out when because you do such important work and you've been this way since the moment I met you and way before. <laughs> I mean, I'm just so excited to have you. You know, every time I get to speak to you on and offset, it just feels like an absolute blessing. And to watch the work that you do encourages me and my own path to live authentically and know that I can still succeed. And I just... I first off have to start off by checking in with you. So I ask every guest when you come on, if you were to check in with yourself right here, right now, what would you say that you would find? I would say I'm at a bit of a, a like emotional plateau. My, mm-hmm. my weeks can show a lot of not extreme ups or downs, but I usually ride a little higher than I am right now, but um, I'm doing a lot of meditation and really stopping when I feel kind of negative thought cycles and stopping and saying, okay, those thoughts mean no more than the other thoughts. All of them are thoughts, just observe them. And I'm still here. And so I kind of happen to be in a few days of that. (laughs) A few days of observation. Yes. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Julio Gallerati, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant, Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. I have to talk to you about this past year because we spoke a little bit, obviously, when this was an Insta Live series and touched right when the pandemic was happening, when all the madness was going on in the world. But professionally, this has actually been a very profound year for you. You've gone through so many different ups and downs and all the rounds, but you've always come back up on top with recreating and reinventing what you're going to do next. I know that you've had such a professional journey during this period, but I kind of want to know, you know, what, what was happening personally behind it all after all of this was going on, because I can only imagine, you know, juggling with the three kids and not knowing what was going to happen next with just our world. Can we start from where we, where we, where we met each other, which was you on Strahan and Sarah. My yes. first time was when it was just Strahan and Sarah. So can you oh, talk you were to one me? of the originals. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, this is bad. That's what I mean. I, I think I was thinking back to the time and I was like, wow, you know, 
but the first time I even came on as a style host was was when it was just Strahan and, and Sarah. So there was just let's even start there. What was that like for you when you got the show and and you know being vocal about your mental health journey so so early on? Well, it's interesting because you would have met me and maybe not known uh, that I was in a pretty rough spot when you met me. And mm-hmm. I think that's because, you know, typically when people say, hey, how are you? You don't answer each one with, I'm really not okay. But <laughs> um, so it's funny because that two years was such a gift to me. It was uh, yeah. two years of the show and I got something I had dreamt of and really was realistic with myself and never thought it'd be possible. And it came along and it was, uh, I got pregnant within a couple months of getting the show and the pregnancy isn't fully to blame. There was a lot going on in a parallel lane of a show that was really, um, struggling due to just, we didn't really, they didn't know the people that created it didn't really know where they wanted it to go. So it was kind of like Mm -hmm. a floundering vision and, and I got pregnant and I have always, um, battled some depression and anxiety. And I had some like perinatal, which is like during pregnancy uh, depression, uh, right off the bat, because it was the one time I'd said out loud, this is not the time to have a baby. I'm getting this dream. We have two, you know, kids. And so I kind of slipped into the timing of my pregnancy, lining up with a dream of a show and the show would have struggled anyway, but I think you can't help but blame yourself as you're struggling and a show's struggling and it's not finding its footing. So I kind of, and then I had the baby and suffered some postpartum, which I'd had with my first as well. So it was like about a, I feel like it was all the way through the pregnancy. It was at least a solid year of a pretty, that's one of the longest struggles I've had that was, didn't come up for air much. Like it was a, it was a pretty much just a nonstop uh, struggle. And I remember when I met you, yeah, I said to you and I go, I hope this comes off right. But you remind me of a mermaid. (laughs) When I said it, I meant it from that like little girl inside that sees something that is all good and almost hard to come by. And you, you would never have known that you were like this light that came in. And from the moment I met you, you were so authentic, so kind, so vulnerable, even your topics of body positivity and like mental health while being fashion, while being, you just had all these hats and you wore them with such warmth and and style. And you always had time for anyone that wanted to chat. I just found you, uh, I think when people are struggling and I'm sure you experienced this, It could be someone on the side of a road. It could be someone giving you coffee. It could be a relative or a friend. People drop in when you need them. And I've always Mm -hmm. said, it's like angels among us. And you were that to me. So when I said like, you're a mermaid, I meant it even more profoundly than I could have expressed at the time. But I mean, it literally, I'm like a little bit holding back tears right now. Cause I think like, I, I, to know that you were in that space and that, I impacted you in any way, shape or form in that period of your life is, is an honor. And I think, um, I think that's why, you know, I, I am doing what I'm doing here today and why you do what you do as well is that we we're here to tell stories and we're tell 
the truth of how our struggles can bring us to our triumphs and then it's okay to struggle. But there is a lot of layers between a lot of people. And I think a lot of times people are afraid to be able to be honest with each other about what they're going through. And especially when it comes to our workplace, which sometimes can be the most vulnerable place where triggers can arise. And a lot of the times, you know, you have those service level relationships. I mean, I just moved back to LA and I'm dealing with it just personally a lot. Like I'm realizing, oh my God, there's so many friends of mine where I'm just like, Hey, like stop for a second. Like, let's be real with one another. Why are we having these surface level conversations? There's so much more going on underneath. And if we really want to grow within each other, we need to be honest. And to hear that you were going through all of that, I mean, one, you need to applaud yourself because I can only imagine professionally, it was such an amazing opportunity for you. We're like, yes, I have my own show. We're going to figure it out. And then all of a sudden (laughs) you're like, oh, well, baby number three is coming. Okay. We're going to figure that out too. And then on top of all that, I'm going to be this badass woman that's going to be able to say that I can handle it all and showcase everybody else that nothing is going to get in my way. Unfortunately, there are things that are getting in my way. And now how do I navigate that? Right. Yeah. And I mean, do you, what was that time like for you? Because I could only imagine juggling all of that. I mean, in your hours as well, like, what people don't realize is the behind the scenes that you go through as a host and to also be listening to stories that probably were inflicting some other emotions that were going on inside you and then having to still pull it together and tell the story on camera. I I, I couldn't imagine what, what you must have been going through. Well, it was the first time also I hadn't been a part of an institutional show where the the producers, everyone behind the scenes, they're top of the line, amazing. This was a kind of ground up, no budget show. So for the first time I was running into, you're already feeling insecure or you're in your head about things. Whenever you're struggling, often you're, own, you're battling your own voice that's telling yeah. you, you're not worth this. You're not good. You're not. You oh know. yeah. And then outwardly, it was the first time I was bumping into technical things where again, as a type A person that beats up on myself, people could say that wasn't your fault. It was the director. We didn't know we were going here and you can't help but say, if I were better, I could have done more. I could have done it differently. So it was like the circumstances lent themselves to pile on to what I was already saying on the inside in a way that, um, really just tested my strength. And with pregnancy, you've got so many hormones. So I already struggle without pregnancy. Pregnancies were always pretty rough on me. The only one that went relatively smoothly was the middle one, but the other two hit me pretty hard. And I, knowing I I've always known what mattered most and it was family and what we do outside of our jobs. That was the one time I'd sent out loud. I can't get pregnant right now. And then when I did get pregnant, the show has my name in it. So I can't be out. I can't miss. I can't, they won't tell you that. And I, you know, there's a thousand reasons in this day and age, you can't tell a pregnant woman, you can't do things. But I was hard on myself because I was like, how many times do you get a chance like this? I recognize how Mm. magical life is and that I was blessed with this baby, but you know, buck up, like your name's in the title. You, you got to show up now. Like I was kind of like, I'm my worst boot camp critic. And so it was, it was a long year and it's funny. It kind of bled into the pandemic. Our show was canceled as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. And when you say, you know, you keep redefining yourself, I think it's a beautiful way to put it. And when we look back, it looks like that, but while it was happening, it was very messy. It was 
I, we just bought a house. This show's gone. I have always been at shows that last for a long time. So most likely I'm not going anywhere. And now my show's gone and we're moving in a pandemic with three babies. And I don't know if I have a job and, and, you know, so many things were going on that I just found myself reeling. And when I reel, I look for familiar things, whether it's a place, faces, smells, I seek something that makes me feel at home. And we had left our home. (laughs) So now I had to cling to these faces, which I love near me, but I'm also supposed to be their mom and their leader. And so my greatest confidant through all of it was my husband, who's, who's been very aware. He doesn't always know what to say, but he knows to listen and to hug me a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, he's grown a lot because we've done therapy together and, um, without him, I don't know how I would have survived all of this. I I just, I mean, even just going back to even just like being public about postpartum depression, like how was that for you at a period of time when you were holding on to so much and there was so much shifting even before, you know, Stray and Sarah and Kiki, you know, closed their beautiful doors. There was, you know, that shift of like your first time. And I'm assuming so where it kind of was written into your storyline a little bit, like you were starting to have conversations with other moms who were dealing with postpartum depression, or at least from an outsider's point of view, looking in from the the moments that I got to spend on set with you guys, you know, it was liberating for me to watch that the show was kind of intertwining mental health and well-being, and also a little bit more of like your story behind the scenes and how Sarah shows up for Sarah. But you know, what was, what was that like? Was that hard for you? in the beginning to be able to be so honest about it? Or do you feel like afterwards you were like, oh, wow, actually this might've been something I should have said a long time ago because it's now giving me permission to take those mental health days. So I think I, I, I've, I've always found it cathartic to talk about these things mainly because I think I, I'd love to say I'm this selfless altruistic martyr of causes, but I'm really looking for someone to say me too. Like I felt that, like I'm looking for to not be different, to not be weird, to not be broken, Mm -hmm. you know? So oftentimes the motivation is for me, like, let me talk about it. I just need one person to raise their hand and say, you're not alone, girl. Like I've been there. And every time a new phase happens, one hand is not enough. So every new bout, every new struggle, you need another person because you're back in the dark space and you have to trust when you can't see much that other people can. And they're like, you'll get out. It's okay been there. You're constantly looking for your community. And, Mm. and I think in every time that's always been the motivation. It was really hard during those two years that I always say those two years, because it pretty much was bookended by those two years on the show. I remember there was a time where John Quijones invited me to be on what would you do? And it was going to be an episode about postpartum. And that show is about uh, actors portraying scenarios and will regular people or I would say ordinary, but so many are extraordinary in those situations. Will would yeah. they intervene? So we're watching, and from the truck, I get a chime into the actor's ears. It's a it's a woman and a man, and they're having a conversation. And the woman's pretty much expressing postpartum things, and the man, the the dad or husband, is saying, "Oh, buck it up," you know, whatever. John turned to me and he said, "Now, would you like to go in and play the part? Would you like to try your hand at a different scenario?" And I was so ready to, because what he didn't know is I was having postpartum and was in, I was in those months right after my baby. And 
so many people were, were seeing those emotions. For me, I needed that moment because I was real life, real time looking for someone to say, you're fine, you know, and it, it was a lot, you know, it was, and when you talk about it, when you're going through it, you're not quite as strong because now you're vulnerable again. You're saying I'm in it. I don't know how to answer this with the clarity and removal Mm -hmm. to give it its due. So oftentimes it's much easier when you're out of those times to talk about it because you're Mm -hmm. back on your strong legs. You, you know, you see the world for what it is. You're feeling hopeful and you're good. I happened to be talking about it during that time while not wanting to simultaneously say BT dubs, like I'm actually really not in a good place. There was a time at work where I did have to mention it because it was getting to the point where I'd have episodes, I'd come home and it was the first time it ever interfered with my job. Usually the adrenaline of live TV almost made me so present that I couldn't struggle. And it was starting to get to the point where I'd go to speak and I'd forget what I was going to say, or I'd make mistakes, uh, like throwing to a commercial and my Michael and my bosses didn't necessarily know. And they're like, um, you knew that that wasn't commercial and you're like, yeah, yeah. And then I'd go behind back to my dressing room and I'd just ball. So I finally called my boss in because I thought I need to create a safety net for people to know I'm not okay because it's. You can't say that later when they call you and say, you haven't been performing and you're like, oh, by the way, I'm not doing well. You, you got to do it, you know, for your own security and safety, not just support, but legally for your job. So that was the first time I had to take it to my workplace and have a closed door meeting where I'm like, uh, I, I need you to be aware of this. So yeah. I also think what I hear is like, you know, when you went on to that show it was the first time where you felt like you could validate your feelings. It was the first time where actually Sarah got to show up sort of as Sarah on live television, but putting herself in other shoes and being able to relate that motion through someone else. And that's yeah. what I, that's why I think I connect as an actor is because for so long, the trauma that I've been through as a, you know, as a young girl, I didn't know where to put those emotions, but it felt comfortable to put those emotions through somebody else's story and be able yeah. to still be able to let them just like, flow through me and people still see me. Right. But they're seeing, yeah. me, but they're not seeing me, but they are, but they aren't, you know? And, and I think that was the same with you. It's like, I'm here as Sarah, but I'm not here as Sarah, but oh my yes. God, it feels so good that people get to see Sarah, you know? And yeah. it's like, you were just like letting it f- go onto the floor. And for the first time it was like, oh my God, actually, maybe there are other people that may relate to this and say that it's okay that like, I am going through this and I'm not, I can't keep it in my head for too long because yeah. one of the things you said before, which I really resonate with is when you, when you start to keep things in your head and you start to feel these things you do, you judge everything that goes on around you. And then unfortunately you do start to, to lose the line or you do start to, you know, jump into a different fantasy because you're so consumed with trying to hide actually all the pain that's going on inside you that you don't know how to actually connect physically anymore. And for anybody who's listening, it's, it's one of those things of, could you imagine Sarah being in her shoes and then having to show up every day and, and how, I mean, I just hear your story and I just, I just want to hug you and just say like, wow, no, but wow. Like, wow. Like, to be in your shoes. And I know the pain. I mean, I know different pain, right? We don't have the same pain, but I know pain and to be in those shoes and to show up and to do the job that you did and to feel the pressure to sort of 
mask it for so long is really tough. And that's a lot, you know? And so you need to applaud yourself for that moment in in itself. And then fast forward, you know, all this other goodness that's gone on. You've now shows closed doors. You've bought a house. You've now have your three (laughs) beautiful babies and the world is is around you telling you the pandemic is happening and you've got fresh air. (laughs) Like, you're like, (laughs) well, this is, you're like, well, this is awesome. Like I have squirrels now, but now what's next. But I mean, where'd the journey go from there? Did you know you were always going to jump back into the view and that was sort of your next step? I would, no, I I would say it would have been very arrogant for me to think there'd always be a seat at that table. I loved that show. I loved that show. And I never would have left if this unicorn of an opportunity hadn't have come along. The fact that they came and said, we have a seat. We'd love to have you back was literally the gift of all gifts from, (sighs) from the universe. Because I also think you, a lot of this business is luck. It's timing. It's hard work, of course, but things have to line up. There are a lot of talented, yeah. amazing people that could be doing what I do and they never had the chance or the door open or the opportunity. And, and I did to have that opportunity open up again after on the heels of everything that happened. I felt like a, a beautiful, amazing safety net caught me. And I felt lucky to kind of rise again at this table. Um, a lot of luck. Do you think that that sort of gave you a sense of of ease. I mean, I was, I was curious to sort of ask you, you know, what was the difference between using your voice with your mental well-being journey versus the first time you were on the show versus where you were in 2020? Because I feel like you developed so much as a woman um, professionally to speak up and speak out about things that really were concerning to you and to your mental health and to others that related to them. And that's an important topic of, I think of why the view is so special is that you get to talk about things that other people are thinking, but don't necessarily know how to vocalize or verbalize their opinions. And it gets people to really start to identify with who they are. That's why stories are so important to be talked about because they start to right. go like, Oh, that is actually a piece of me. Oh, that isn't a piece of me. Oh, wait, now I'm getting closer to me. And that's the yeah. coolest part of your job. So, you know, do you feel like you gravitated towards a new voice when you went back onto the show around like what you needed to get through those challenging days if they were to arise again? Um, I feel like there was no way I could come back as the same person at all because I had changed. So, you know, some years look very developmentally different when you look at I'm learning this through toddlers. Six months is a life-changing amount of time when you're looking at how fast they learn and grow. As we get older, hopefully you're working on yourself and, and, and becoming better all the time, but the change doesn't happen at such quick rates. That two years with some power living, power struggle, power, uh, just hard times. And it changed me so much that I came with a new gratitude. I also came with a, a an unapologetic authenticity in the sense that I had always been open to speaking of mental health. And sometimes when I mentioned it, I'd hear people say, but you're so happy and you're so, and the thing is happy people, which, you know, by the way, my, my husband would argue there are plenty unhappy moments, but um, there are people that are optimistic or, or, you know, sometimes in their own journey, it hits them harder because there's an expectation on you. You know, clearly I held that way before I was on TV. I was, that was kind of the role I played in my family. And so when Sarah was sad, it was like, 
when my face rested or I was in a place where I needed to check in, it was like, are you okay? You know, there was this huge, you know, lift. Now I think I'm just leaning in and owning that I kind of hit so many hurdles and walls during that couple years of self-growth, you know, like realizing that I'm not the young one in the room all the time, that my body is changing, my face is changing my, and we, for women, you know, we've talked for years about women get the short end of the stick of longevity and age in the business. And Mm. I always feel like I'm young on the inside. So all of a sudden I was looking from the outside and I was like, wait a second. Oh my gosh, I'm bumping into issues that I have talked about, but from a distance I thought, and now I'm sitting here and it was my self growth of knowing better how to push through, knowing what I wanted to do, how I wanted to handle it. And really coming to terms with walking the walk of things I had said. Um, so I, I think I come to this table um, a little more, a little, you know, tougher, a, a little mm. more set in where my voice is. Yeah, um, I've always been a peacekeeper and I was always someone that kind of melded things. And some people say to me this time around, yeah, well, it looks like you've changed. I'm like, nope, I haven't changed. You're just finally hearing from me. Like this was yeah. always in there, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Uh, it's definitely different this time. I mean, I love to hear that you're obviously owning your voice and your power within it. And I think that with all the the year experience that you have, obviously that's come with time and growth and like personal growth and power. Um, I, I also think one of the most beautiful things that you showcase is that you can still struggle and have challenging moments and succeed. And I think that's what a lot of people forget about talking about mental health and our well-being journeys is they think that you have to be sad all the time, or you have to be angry all the time, or you have to feel a certain emotion. And it's like, well, no, I can actually walk alongside my depression and my anxiety and still live a very fulfilled lifestyle. And that's exactly like what you show, because it doesn't mean that you're faking the fact that you have a smile, you have a smile for a purpose, but I can tell you from my experience and maybe it's different from yours, but that smile can change from a trigger in one moment and go to yep. something else. And that doesn't mean that that smile wasn't authentic a minute ago. Right, right. That just means that something else is now triggered something else inside me. And it's unfortunately, sometimes you, you we can't control the feelings or the emotions that live in that are stored within our body, right? Sometimes yeah. there's trauma that's too deep that, that can seep in that necessarily stays there that comes out in periods of times that you can only live in a state of acceptance to really then show up. I yeah. think. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know you talk a lot about identifying your flare ups and your sort of triggers and your emotions that you've had. And I know that you've had a very, very lengthy sort of relationship with your mental well-being journey from a very young age. I mean, what was that like for you? Because it's beautiful to hear the journey of where you are now, which feels like you have this groundedness and who Sarah is and how she wants to project herself and how you know how to take hold of it. But when you were younger, what was that like for you? Well, arguably, I would say that this is, it's not the answer right to your question, but it kind of touches on this. I read the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Did you read that? No, I haven't. You should definitely read it. I probably need to. (laughs) As she goes through it, you you would love it. But as she goes through it, there's a point where, and I'm not going to quote this right, but she talks about kind of almost like if you look at your own anxiety or depression as like the regular condition, we often talk about, well, we struggle with it. So we're here. I would almost argue what I read from her book and what it kind of like the light bulb went off is that 
actually, if we're being honest, we all have this. It's whether we talk about it and address it. So it's not that we struggle differently. It's that we're probably all struggling. It's whether we look at it or not, which really sets us apart. And that changed kind of my perspective on mental health that I call it struggling and depression, anxiety, but it might be the normal human condition. And we're just actually talking about it. And so that changed in the last little bit of my life, which gave me a power to say, wait, so I'm not broken. We're probably all running around like this. I'm actually just facing it head on and getting, learning to live with it, as you said, peacefully next to it. And from a young age, uh, it was more anxiety. I I didn't really feel any depression until my late teen years into college, like in the college years. But looking back, I had some really obsessive tendencies uh, and organization, perfection, all this stuff. One time, I still battle those things. That's kind of something I've learned to have some uh, tools that I work on because sometimes you can see it flare up and I can literally look and say, oh, wait, that's that. I see it now. I'm not consumed by it. I can see it. It's here. I know she's here. Let's just like move through this and not let it rule me. Like, let's just observe it and keep going because it'll pass. Um, when I look back at those qualities, I remember one of the first therapy sessions I went to, it was with a child psychiatrist. And I was, I was in my teen years and my mom threw around a lot of labels like, ah, she's, you know, she's got OCD. She's got this. And you're like, I don't know what to do, you know? Um, And I was telling her about some of my obsessiveness. And this woman had this beautiful, like a picture. It was like a mosaic, all these bright colors. And she said, Sarah, what do you see up there? And she was asking me, and I was like, it's a beautiful picture. It had so many colors. And she's like, when we talk about these habits you have, that's like the color blue up there. And maybe mm-hmm. one of them's like red and green. Without those things, you're not this beautiful picture of so many colors. These are all as much a part of you. They're not things to rid yourself of or yeah. heal and take something this is to embrace, to coexist, to realize that oftentimes these same qualities are your successes as well. Yes. Yes. And no, so, mean, sorry, let no, me touch on that really. That, I, yeah. Yes. Because I, you know, people think that I always have said, I've gone through what I've gone through in my life to be able to give me this groundedness to speak like the way that I do. I wouldn't feel authentic to speak about mental health if I haven't gone through what I've been through in my life and the pain that I've struggled. And it's also giving me a very colorful life to go back to. And I think that's exactly what she was saying, right? If you don't have all these beautiful different layers to you, then what is what is this life that we're living? We're here to feel, we're here to be able to express. And unfortunately, sometimes there are different ways that we express certain things that we need to understand a bit better than the next person, but that's okay too. And you talk about OCD tendencies, which is something that I actually had as well when I was younger. I had very OCD tendencies. I couldn't go to school unless my socks were perfect. My parents used to always talk about it. And over the course of my life, it just sort of fluttered away, like you said, right? And that's where I think as you get into an adult, you start to look back at maybe tendencies you had when you were younger and identify, is this a piece of who I am still? Or are there going to be flare-ups and moments where my anxiety, my OCD, or my depression is going to come back? And what's that going to look like now? Because I know what that looked like then. And if it comes back now, am I going to be fearful of it because it may be different? And what toolbox will I use here? When you were in your college years, do you feel like you understood a different way of your toolbox? I know you spoke about therapy. Do you think that was sort of 
your way of, of really coming to terms with understanding what, what you needed to be able to take a grasp of it as, a, as kind of a young adult? So I definitely didn't have my toolbox yet. My college years, I had gone to one-off therapy sessions when I was home over the summer, but I didn't really start to begin the journey of understanding uh, and creating that toolbox until I was out of college on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, college hit me like a train because that might have been the first time you every you don't even know which way's up. I always describe college as uh, people have a lot of some people have some really happy memory. A lot of people, you know, college. If we could go back to college, I would never <laughs> go back to college in case in case you want to ask that question. I always compare it to pulling taffy. Like it's delicious at the end, but it was work. It was struggle. It was yeah. ups and downs and getting blindsided by habits, things like binging food that I would do in quiet and they were all habits of seeking control of the uncontrollable, which is life. They just manifested differently. And that was the first time it hit me so hard that I was like, something's wrong with me. I don't know what the, like, and, and when it hits you originally, you often are like, I'm definitely the only one going through this because you guys all look normal. Like what the hell? So that was the beginning of it. And the interesting thing about what you just alluded to though, like, you know, as life goes on, will it flare up? one of the most shocking things was my first bout of postpartum because Mm -hmm. I had been now, I had my first baby at 38. I'd been dealing with therapy medicines at different points, but really aware talking about it for uh, 15 years, well over that. And I had some depression during my first pregnancy and the New York times wrote an article about alerting pregnant women. They should be screened during pregnancy, not just after and all this stuff. And I remember I, I thought I'll be ready because I, this is one time when your experience with depression really kicks in. I'm going to see her coming. Like I got this. (laughs) That's where the pain of postpartum came. I'd heard the term and everyone thinks of postpartum, which just means after birth, but the term triggers moms who hurt babies, you know, and don't like their babies. That's postpartum psychosis, which very slim percent of people experience. So I was looking for signs that weren't going to come because I didn't associate postpartum with feeling the massive feelings of overwhelmed, not knowing if maybe I'd made a decision I couldn't reverse. Maybe I wasn't cut out for this. Why don't I feel what other mamas feel? Everyone's Instagram posts are like, I fell in love today. And I'm looking at my husband like, hey, we just met this little kid. Like, I definitely don't want anything to happen to him, but I barely know his name. Like, I'm not in love right now. Like, those aren't the words I'd use. So many feelings came in. And because people don't talk about it a lot, I thought I was the only one. Therefore, as a woman, I am broken. I'm not cut out for this. I'm different. I, this kid would be better off without me. Like, you know, this, I love this little baby's so cute and too bad he got me, you know, like, and you just bury yourself. And because that's not what I thought would knock out the door when depression came, I missed it. And it was months. And then OCD flare-ups where I took my baby once off my, like weeks into having the baby at home, took him off in a feeding session in the middle of the night and laid him on the floor because my little chihuahua who I loved had just peed on the white carpet. My OCD kicked in so fast that I'm the baby's crying. I'm crying. I'm scrubbing the floor. And my husband, God bless him, knew something wasn't right, knew that he wanted to help me, but didn't know what to say and had that look that you dread on your face of 
what the hell is wrong with you? Which I yeah. already feel all the time. Mm. And that day I said, I, I got, I, I got to get help. So something's got to give because this is not a normal decision, you know? And that was when I started Googling an OCD doctor because I'd never really addressed the OCD head on or been officially diagnosed. Yeah. And so that was one of the times I found a site, uh, a site psychologist that actually was trained in that. And it took me about six sessions, eight to kind of like get my tools for how to handle that. She's like, it's never going to go away. You'll always have it, but you don't always need to see me. So like, let's just, but that was a flare up. I didn't see coming. I, I think it's the same thing. It was like, even with body image, you know, we talk so often about, um, body positivity. And it's all about, you know, some people's perception of body positivity is like, you know, you, you're checked in all of a sudden and you're good to go. And for the rest of your life, you're always going to love your body. And I think it's not that case. You know, I think it's an ever evolving relationship and why I always say there's such a beautiful sort of connectivity between your body image and your mental health. And you can't have one without the other. And it's the same with everything else that you said that you've experienced. It's like, you can't have one without the other. And sometimes people forget that, you know, if one thing is Checked in. Well, how does that mean that the other one's not going to be checked in as well? And what do I do in that in that period of time? And yeah. you've you've been through so much, and I think that it showcases your vulnerability to be able to stand here and say, you know, this is what I've done. This is how I've been able to overcome it. On the the good days, though, now do you, do you applaud yourself? Do you sit there and go like, God, girl? wow, look at where you have been. And sometimes we forget, I think, to applaud ourselves on our good mental health days as well. So often we're trying to focus on the bad ones and being like, how are you going to get through this one, sister? But on the good ones, I mean, do you sit there and go like, Sarah, you have you have lived a beautiful life that has so many stories to it and you're still standing. I do that a lot, honestly. Thank you for pointing that out. I do that a lot because I think there's also a gratitude when you've struggled, whatever your struggle is, and 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 the journey is relative. So my therapist will always say when I try to counter it and say, oh, but that's not as bad as, you know, when you're trying to put your life into perspective, she's like, there's no perspective here. This is yeah. your journey. Like if it hurts, you're not saying it's worse than the person. You're just talking about you right now. Like yes. stay there, you know? So when I, that's, I want to disclaim that as I speak about this, this has been my pain, my walls, my hurdles, and mm. I bumped into them a lot. It's given me a gratitude. The other beautiful thing is my husband and I have done therapy as a result. And I said, it's funny for someone who lived in therapy, like not, not nonstop, but like I'm struggling, yeah. I'm in it for a while. I take a break, I'm struggling, I'm back in it. And then I take a break. Why would I think that when I met someone that all of a sudden I wouldn't need to check in with, <laughs> because a lot of people that, that stigma is a lot around couples. Well, if you're seeking help, then there's a problem. Max and I just had a, a we went on to a dinner. It was like, I guess you could call it a date a week or two ago. And we're, we're, we had a few activities that weekend and we started to game plan how to not set each other off. Cause we're very aware now with this therapy of yeah. things I say and what he thinks then. And this, we're like literally like high five in and saying, <laughs> I go, don't you feel unstoppable? We're like on the same page. And I think it's those moments that you go through those little periods where whether you, you're hating on yourself or you're looking at your partner thinking, you're a stranger. How did I marry you? Like, why would I have chosen you? And then you realize when people say the journey is so much more beautiful as you push through and you're like, well, what do they mean by that? I felt mm. what they meant by that. You know, you do the work, you communicate and you're like, I love you more right now because I've never felt more seen. Like 
we're game planning, you know, my narrative, like I know, like, and I just think the couples therapy is another element is anyone that battles their own, just know whatever your partnerships look like, you're probably going to need to continue conversations. Well, I have to say this two things. One, we need to talk about couples in quarantine because you are a genius <laughs> to be able to turn everything you were going through into an Insta Live series, which was so relatable to so many people at home. But two, I have to tell you that this morning, and this is, sorry, Dominic, but this morning I literally sent my partner, our old Redefine You that we talked about, because you spoke about couples in therapy with your partner. And I was like, I was like, just, I just listened to this beautiful conversation I had with Sarah a long time ago that I think is very true to what we are dealing with right here and right now. I'm going to send you this, listen to this and listen that it is normal for couples to go to therapy, that actually the couples to succeed is understanding each other's triggers. Because I had a moment this morning in my conversation with him and I said, there's a trigger coming in that's coming in. And he was like, kept going. I'm like, I have just said, I have put a red flag up. The trigger is here. I'm like, where are we? Like, you're going to, what do we do now? (laughs) You know, but I think it's so beautiful that you've said that you and Max have have mastered this craft of like, I know that that's going to arise something for you. So let's put that to rest and let's find something else to connect on so that we can really understand each other in that moment. Well, and it's the best thing is there was a point where I was like, do we need a safe word or something? Like, yeah. because when I'm, there's a, there's a period I get to where no matter how much we talk about it, I'm not going to get it. I'm in the red zone, like it, t- tapping out, give me a minute. I'm going to say ugly things. If you keep pushing me, you know? And so we've gotten <laughs> to the point where I'm literally like, I'm there, I'm there. You don't want to know what comes out next. It's damaging. Let me go. Let me go. And then like, it literally just takes that beat for yeah. me to come back to breathe, whatever that beat looks like. Some days it's 10 minutes, some days it's an hour, some days it's 30 seconds. And you come back and you're like, okay, I'm back. Let's talk. And I think the interesting thing is Max had never been to therapy when he met me. And he was, I would never, by the way, ever engage in a long-term relationship with someone that when that topic came up would say like, I'm never going to do it because I don't think there's Mm -hmm. hope for relationships where they won't do what they need to do. So, and a lot of people, and I think it's very common among men to say, I'm good. You know, he always said, I'll do it, but that's because of you. Like, I'm not going to, I don't get it. I don't know why we can't talk through it. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's like (laughs) therapy 101. Like this is why there are professionals and why my mom can't solve my problems. You know, like, so we went and I remember it took one session for him to walk out and it wasn't like that's laying the groundwork of the relationship. So it's not like you achieve a lot in one session, but we walked away and he just looked at me and he goes, I, I get it. Like I, yeah. I now understand why you go to someone else, an unemotional third party, you pay to like, listen to what's going on here because what she sees and reflects back to you is just not anything you're going to discover on your own or you would have fixed it already. <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing tool. And I've got to say from the first time we ever had this conversation about couples and because I think it's my first long-term relationship with anybody, it was like, oh my God, this is all music to my ears. This is what you do. This is how you make it work. Let's go to therapy. I'm like, yes. I just, you know, and I, it's a, it's a, it's a selfless way to think of it. And I think one of the things you said to me before was couples in therapy, uh, they don't have to be in an, in a bad place. It's really about no. couples being in a great space and then wanting to even and just grow further from that. Yeah. And we'll have a story or something and we'll find ourselves doing uh, the metaphorical dance and you know it, everyone knows it in their own relationship, that moment where you're like, now he's going to say this, or he's like, she's going to go here. 
and we'd say, save it for Nancy. Like we're going to take it to Nancy. Save and then we'd like, <laughs> it'd be like an exchange where we're like, so there was a phone call and I was yeah. saying, and then he was saying, and like, you just bring her those and she'll ask the questions and you do nothing. And all of a sudden it's coming out. And for the first time you see it as she pulls you out, you're like, oh, you know, yeah. like, and it yeah. becomes very clear and we just do tune-ups. Like we go, it feels like every pregnancy, by the way, we went back to therapy. The first time was when I had, was having Alec and then each time and we'll be fine. Like we're not actively in therapy right now, but we'll have a week where maybe we have a bunch of tense moments. I was like, can we do a mm-hmm. session? And now it's like, like ordering the plumber to come or getting the car washed. I'm like, can we, we need to see Nancy. He's like, okay, schedule it. Let me know. So, and it's just when that dance keeps starting. And sometimes depending on the space you're in as an individual, it starts more, you know, sometimes it's, it's new hurdles and new bumps because we're always changing all of us. And well, I mean, it, it brings us straight to the, you know, the chase. I mean, you're, you're shooting half of that in LA, half of that in, you know, going back to New York. How's that been for you? Is that new territory? I mean, I don't even, I don't even know. Is that new territory? Is that territory that you're familiar with is going and doing the dance back and forth? So no, I've done this, this, I did it. Our first time was last November and I did it. And I remember thinking, oh, this is hard leaving home, which it is. Yeah. When I saw what the job was like on its feet, I thought, I don't know if I could do this at home, switching my hat between all of the preparation and focus to coming home to the kids, the bedtime routine, getting back up. So they called out to do another like 18 episodes and it was going to be like a pretty long stint. And I, Max is always so great. He knows that he gets so excited for that for me, yet he has to handle a lot while I'm gone. And he called and I was like, Max, this, I don't know. I, I kind of had wished they'd move it to New York, but now that I'm out here again, I don't know how I do this. He goes, Sir, I think it's better because you're in a bubble. All you do is your yeah. work and you don't have to switch hats. And that's an emotional hat to be switching regular life. Anyone that's, you know, works knows that you're trying to do a few different things. And I don't think I could do it if I were here. So it was kind of a we call it my break because the six hour flight out there was like, I could watch a movie, things I don't get to do a lot right now. (laughs) So there were moments of like a break. I got a massage. That was amazing. But uh, the majority of it was, it allowed me to stay focused and not emotionally wander. I think it's probably the first time you ever had that as well. I mean, it seems like you've had so much around you that it's probably the first time you're like, oh, wow, actually, this is what it's like to be in one bubble, be in the other bubble and not feel shameful about not being in the other one at the same time. Exactly. It it makes the guilt less because you're not swapping and the boundary is clear. Well, I have to say, I saw what, what your, your team did for you on mother's day with all those beautiful photos. You are just, I mean, you're so unbelievably loved, not only just you're a mom to everybody, but you have just such a beautiful power and being able to advocate for women and letting women know that it's okay to be you and that you can be a mom and you can be successful and you can be somebody who's had challenging moments, but there's still time rise above. You know, what do you feel like is one of the biggest things that you've learned along the way when advocating for women and speaking openly about just taking ownership in you and whatever that looks like for a woman? I think the number one thing, and I think it's probably a human experience. I can only speak to women because I, there are differences between us and I tend to think a different way than Max does. I think the comparisons are the hardest part. Like we live our lives comparing to everyone around us and social media has amped that up because it's the, like you were saying at the beginning, when you were like, you know, you have these friends and you have conversations, you're like, why are we talking about the superficial stuff? Yeah. And yet these social media feeds are only the superficial 
stuff. That's that's what those platforms lend themselves to. So I think they become I don't I don't think obliterating them is the way to go, but I've tried to really embrace. Uh I have fun when I'm all dressed up and I get to like glam and I'll do that too. But like our baby announcements were very specific when we said you know, we weren't like, this is the happiest day of our lives. And not that it isn't for some people. Their babies are hard fought. They're miracles. They're, I'm not trying to say everyone feels like me, but there weren't enough me's so I could see them when I mm. had those feelings. So I also try to be a little more transparent and and in everything from, I, I don't always, I'm really like a, I'm the opposite of you in style. I, I, get in my own way in athleisure and did way before it was pandemic chic. So I like <laughs> don't dress, I don't wear makeup. And to, I kind of try to make sure I'm showing the dimensions of the, that's not for everyone. I'm not saying everyone has to feel comfortable with that, but I think the more I lean into being the example I want to see, the more yeah. I get that reflected back to me, like, oh my gosh. And then I remember I went on a walk in this neighborhood. It was during that really hard time when I, the job was, uh, I didn't know if I had it. I took a walk and I had mascara and because I was sweating, it had like come down to here. Didn't know that mm -hmm. waving at people out in the yards. Cause we don't talk to people. We're in a pandemic. Hi, hi, hi. Get home after a 45 minute walk and realize I had had makeup down to here and had no clue. And people were writing like friends too, but friends would secret screenshot going, you should have seen me the other day at the grocery store. And it becomes this uplifting moment that doesn't go from where it can go when you're struggling to, of course, my makeup was running. I don't know how to do anything right. I can't snowball into that negative place. And it becomes a hilarious story where you're laughing and other people are like me too. And you're just like, I have a community, strangers, yeah. friends. I'm not alone. You know, Bridget Jones is kind of the, always my inspiration for those moments, but there's a lot of Bridget Jones out there that are just like me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's what you're doing though, is you're paving a path and you're finding your footing in such a beautiful way. And it's just so amazing to watch because it is so true. We've come to a place where this past year, I think has really reflected humanity and it's allowed for us to really understand each other to a deeper level and want to have those, those tougher conversations that are actually very enlightening. Like you're saying, yeah. it's a tougher conversation that's actually really beautiful to have. Like to be able to say, you know, I had a great cry this morning and to have a smile on your face after saying it is a beautiful thing and a great feeling to have. We've all seen the headlines in the news of how someone lost their life in an act of cold-blooded murder. And while it's sad and grabs your attention, most people go on with their day without giving it another thought. But have you ever stopped to think about the life of the person at the center of the news story? They were more than just a headline or a statistic. They were someone's loved one or friend. I'm Mike Morford, and my podcast, The Murder of My Family, dives into some of those stories to help listeners get to know the person who was lost and how their death affected those closest to them. Listen to The Murder of My Family everywhere you listen to podcasts. There are well over 100 episodes to binge on now. I want to say thank you for everything that you have shared and your honesty, your vulnerability. I'm going to ask you a couple few questions that just make you, you. Okay. We speak so often about, you know, building your personalized toolbox, having a big one. What served you in your last flare up or your last challenging moment? Okay. Say? So one thing which we hear a lot about is exercise, but I keyed into a specific equation for what releases my happy hormones. I always thought when people were like, stay active, that could be a lot of things. That could be a yeah. boxing class, a walk, whatever. I love taking long walks, but it actually doesn't trigger the happy hormones. If I want to get that, that high you get after a workout, I need 20 minutes 
mm-hmm. where my heart race is increased. So one thing I've leaned on a lot is like, if you have the Peloton app or those 20 minute, like a hit workout, they suck a little, but it's only 20 minutes and it's like a burpee. And then this, I have to get my heart rate raised for about, I think 20 is probably the lowest. And then I get that feeling and we've all had it where you walk around you're like, I could conquer the world. It's yeah. absolutely my biology working for me. But I've realized when I say get moving, and for me, that's part of my mental health wellness plan. It's got to be a 20 minute raised heart rate. So even if that's running or jogging, but 20 minutes, it's got to be a full 20 minutes. That's one thing. I took up meditation in 2021. I do a Sam Harris has a waking up podcast that I do. It's 10 minutes every day. I've it was my new year's resolution and probably the first one I've kept. I do have a handful of times on my journal. I write where I didn't get it done, but I mean like maybe six times, eight times in the year, it's non-negotiable. It's not something, Oh, I'll get to it next year. It's it, it's most important as like it, when I was on medicine as important as taking that pill is meditation. Those yeah. 20 minute workouts when I'm feeling like I'm dipping on the other side, sleep, non-negotiable. Again, there are times you can't, you can't do that. But also I notice when I'm struggling a little bit, I, I drink like all, I, I love a cocktail. I don't drink a lot when I'm in the more vulnerable points. I really check in with myself when I'm going to have a drink, not because the drinking becomes a problem, but the drinking makes me worse. So mm. I check in, am I in the right space or am I self-medicating? Cause if it's self-medicating, that means I'll, I'll wait a minute and go try something else until I'm on my good footing again. So those are kind of the boxes I've learned to check that keep me more often balanced than not. I think it's also really good to be able to recognize and, and to bring light to the fact that self-medicating can also look as the form of what the after effects of that is. Because I yeah. think sometimes when you, if you, even if it's just one drink, that one drink can actually teeter to bring a lot more um, thoughts of unwantedness that can yeah. bring you down. If that's your case as well. And then you know, if you could sum up your mental well-being journey in one word without shame, what would that be? Never ending. <laughs> yeah. A never ending good thing. And then I've asked you this before, but I'm going to ask it again. What are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? These can be words, feelings, saying stories, whatever authentically comes to your mind. That works all of us, including myself, am always a work in progress. And the day you stop working, you're, you're done. Like I, whether that means death or not, there, there's always more work to be done inside or outside. I think when you can't help yourself, this is another uh, hack for me, help someone else. So when mm. I'm in my lowest points and I can't, I can't get to the root cause, there's a raw numbness. I can't help. It has never failed me. It's worked a hundred percent of the time. Go help someone else. And that might mean someone who's reached out an intern or a neighbor's kid, or they, they want to talk to you about how you got to where you're going or, um, you know, a friend you haven't reached out to for a while that one, it can be the most minute thing. Take all energy away from you and get it out a hundred percent of the time. You will be better as a result. That's the second one. And then third would be forgive, 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 forgive yourself, yeah. forgive others. And just back to forgiving yourself. I think when you learn to be soft on yourself, you can finally be soft on others. 
Sarah, I just, I, I, I adore you. I just, I'm so thankful for you as just a person in a beam and that I had the pleasure of working with you many moons ago to be able to relate to this relationship and to be able to open up this, this pool. So I just, I thank you. I thank you for well, I sharing. Thank you. Haley, really quickly, I got to thank you from the moment I met you. And it was a time where I could only, uh, I, I was not doing well. So my words were limiting, but you had this ocean of light and you've been that way. You're walking the walk. You're doing the job from the first time you called me for your IG. You are putting your money where your mouth is. And I commend you because uh, you inspire me. Like you're saying, I inspire you from the moment I met you, you were a light the work you're doing is so important and I will jump at every opportunity <laughs> to ever see you or work with you whenever I can. <laughs> I love you so dearly. I really do. And I have to say like your video that you sent me for checking with you is always going to be my favorite. You were so authentic. You didn't care. You just were like, this is me. I'm on the floor and this is what my life is. And it's just, you don't come by a lot of people like yourself who have achieved so much and are just so humble and so beautiful. And I just, I just adore you so, so deeply. I really, really do. And it's, it really is so a great reminder always to know that it's okay to speak openly about your mental health and that you will still have a successful career in this business. And I think that you are a great testament for that, for anybody who's looking to get into any industry and is fearful of taking those mental health days. I'm sure you guys are all already following Sarah, but if you are looking to hear more of anything about her, go over to all of her platforms, which is at Sarah Haynes. She's got some amazing new IGT. TV shows as well that are a lot of fun. And if you're looking to continue the conversation around living an unapologetically authentic lifestyle, then hopefully this podcast is just for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing stories of inspiring stories of ownership to self, to always remember to lead with the three M's. That's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. You've got this and we're here to support you along the way. So be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss an episode. And it's okay to not be okay in your journey to becoming grounded in the power of you. As you know, some of the topics we discussed today may have been a bit triggering. If you are in need to speak to a crisis counselor, please text home to 741-741 or head over to projecthealthyminds.com slash resources for resources ready to hear from you. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan Dematty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Harinagay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice. Do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.